Hey, I'm Dwayne. And I'm Jennifer. And together we're doing a podcast, Roots. The Unseen Life. Come on a journey with us. You'll produce a system of roots that will stabilize you and... Produce fruit. We're going somewhere. Come along with us. Hey, hey, hey. want to welcome you to another podcast. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Jennifer. And this is the podcast formerly known also known as Roots. You're just making this up as you go, Dwayne? It's kind of a flow. I'm just walking in it. I'm feeling yeah, good. It. All right. Roots, the unseen life. And this is my wife, Jennifer. Do you want to say anything as we introduce ourselves? No, this is my husband, Dwayne. Yeah, it's good to be introduced. Thank you, Jennifer. You're welcome. Hey, man, we're having fun with these podcasts. Yeah, I'm really are. enjoying them. And I'm totally jazzed today. Um, you know, we're doing some with it's just more of Jennifer and I and and it seems like you guys want guests, so we're going to go that way on this one, <laughs> okay? Yeah, there was a lot of sleeping emojis yeah, after exactly. we did our, so they're okay, no. let's bring in some so stimulating I'm so, people. I'm so excited to have Stuart Greaves. Um, Stuart Greaves is, in my opinion, when we look and think about the International House of Prayer, I would say that Stuart Greaves would be um, one of the main pillars of that prayer room there. And of 100%. That, of that ministry there. And so I wasn't clear if it was 19, 18, 19, or 20 years, but it is, it's 20 years. Now, I'm going to say this slowly because I want this to kind of touch you. It's 20 years that Stuart has been leading the Night Watch. So, you know, he's, he's turned his schedule around four or five times, <laughs> but midnight to 6 a.m., he has been 20 years in the prayer room in Kansas City, leading the prayer room there in the in the night watch and there's probably uh four or five others that kind of have that 15 16 17 18 19 year stint i'm not even sure we can ask him but he's originally i might even get this wrong dutch with uh suriname roots lived in venezuela lived in curacao curacao okay there And, and so uh, it, but I just have, uh, I have deep, deep respect for him. Um, one of the things is I'm just been in ministry for years is somebody that can handle the word of God, mm-hmm. but also in the context, um, have great humility, tenderness, and love for the Lord. Yeah. And so he, in my opinion, is in a very, very rare category. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can I add some things? Yes. So. Stuart, I adore you. Um, I just want to say one of the things I really appreciate about you, Stuart, is the ability to have difficult conversations. I've never felt afraid to ask you questions about touchy subjects. And I, I feel like even if I say it wrong, you lean in to listen to what did I mean to ask. And so it creates a safety where I can learn from you so easily because you enable me to just be myself and you create a context for other people to be able to ask you questions about race, about politics, about global thinking, about anything. And you really engage with people at a heart level and at the level that they are, which is impressive because you're very intelligent and you're not going to tell everyone that. So we'll tell them how smart you are. But you have the ability to break down compound subjects into bite-sized pieces, and you know how to meet people where they're at and engage with them where they're at and not be condescending in the process. And so I've personally benefited from that, and I really love and respect you. 
And Thank so you. we're so glad to have you on our Thank major you. show. I was, I was sitting here thinking the, the show is called Roots. I probably should have changed my name to Kunta Quinte. That's right. <laughs> or Chicken George, right? <laughs> I mean, I loved that miniseries when I was young. It was a good one. <laughs> but no, I tell you, uh, it's so good to meet you guys. And um, I'm excited that I get to see you guys in person, you know, tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just so excited. Yeah, me too, me too. Absolutely. Yeah, our pleasure. So let's just, let me ask you a couple questions. So when when did you leave Holland, the Netherlands? Uh, 1977. Okay. okay. And how old so were you? Born in, I was born in 72 and okay. I left it in, in 77. My, my, my dad graduated from um, grad school in 76. And then not long after that, uh, we moved uh, to Suriname. Actually, and Naomi was born in 76. And then we and then we moved to uh, to Suriname. And then you were so you're probably five six when you're there. And then how long yeah, were you in Suriname? Uh -huh. And then in, and then I was in Suriname from seventy seven to eighty four. Oh wow! Okay. okay. And then I was in Venezuela basically from eighty four to ninety one. Wow. And uh, with some in between, but Curacao was my home as well. So I was in Venezuela for uh, let's see here for three years with my folks. We moved to Curacao. I moved back to Venezuela, went to boarding school, That's and then right. was going okay. back and forth between Venezuela and Curacao during that time period. So Venezuela for seven years, and then moved to the U.S. in 92. Okay. And this is a naive question. What is the language spoken in Curacao? Uh, well, it's Dutch as the official language. Okay. And Papiamento as the, the, the dialect. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And did you speak the dialect as well? Yeah, no, not really. I am... Um, um, no, that's no I, no, I don't. I understand it a little bit, but no, I don't. Okay, okay. well, let me ask you. Um, Americans are very generous when they talk about their language abilities. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, they know 10, 15 phrases in, this, in Spanish. Yeah, I, I speak a little Spanish. So let me ask you, um, if you were an American, you know, I mean, you are a U.S. citizen. Yes. Um, how would you answer that question? Uh, <laughs> well, man, heck, if I if I was American, I speak seven languages. Yeah, okay, all right, that's what but I. But no, no, I uh, I speak Dutch. I can yeah. I can speak it, read it, and write it. Uh, English, read it and write it. Uh, Spanish, read and write. And Surinamese, I can speak it, but I can't. Uh, and read a little bit, but I can't write it. Okay. 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 That's impressive. Yeah. And so awesome. ninety two, you went to so ninety two. Then you did college in. Uh, in Florida, is that right? Correct. Yes, I yeah. um, uh, yes went to uh, Florida Tech um, in Melbourne. Yeah, and okay. then um, um, while I was there, uh, it was the spring of '92. Um, the Lord began to deal with me about my calling to ministry, and okay. so I left Florida Tech and I went to uh, Southeastern University in Lakeland. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Okay, <laughs> awesome. And then, so you, when did you move to Kansas City then? Moved to Kansas City in uh, uh, June of '99. Okay, June of '99. June fourth, '99. So about three weeks after IHOP started. Yeah. And so, what brought did it was it IHOP that brought you to KC? Um, I mean, uh, yes and no, yes and no. Meaning, um, I'd had some, um, I'd had some uh, things where the Lord spoke to me in 1994. Okay. Um, about Kansas City. I'd actually had a dream uh, about Kansas City, um, not really knowing anything about what's I didn't I'd, I'd never even heard of Mike or anything like that. Um, and then um, 
met Mike not long after that. It was probably okay. maybe about, gosh, maybe about a year later or so ish, and uh, came out to visit uh, Metro, the church. And I basically swore to myself I'd never come back. <laughs> we we had, we had, a, that same we had experience. a similar experience. I was like, hey, no, this is not happening uh-huh. at all. Yeah. And uh, uh, but then you know you know you know but then as, as the years begin to progress, the Lord really began to make it very clear. Esther and I got married in '98, uh, December okay. of '98, and okay. uh, it was two weeks after we got married. Um, he said it was time for us to move to uh, Kansas City. Wow. Uh, I have not started yet. And it was during the time of him saying move to Kansas City and us beginning to make preparations to move to Kansas City, I have started. But I was on staff with the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship during that time. That's right. right. That's right. And so I, I transferred with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship to uh, to the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Ah, okay. 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 Yeah. That's right. Okay. So let's, I don't, um, I have so many things we could talk about with you, Stuart. So we'll just have you on multiple times. (laughs) Well, I just, I have such respect for you guys. Well, I just have such respect for your journey. I really do. Um, and so there's several issues that you have wrestled with, I think fought through, you know, and so let me just say, um, this is going to sound maybe to you who are listening, maybe a little bit arrogant, but um, but it, what, when when Stuart said this to me, it wasn't an arrogance. It was a a mission accomplished. I remember you walking up to me. I believe we're actually back, kind of in, in the corner of the prayer room by Mike's office there. And you said to me, um, "You know what? I think I've got a basic handle on every book of the Bible." And I remember being so provoked by that of you're just you're you you really did eat the scroll devour the word of god and that has so formed your your perspective on things and so i think my first question that i would like to ask you so the elections just you know days away from from where we're at today in november um our our general elections here and and so we have you know in my in my time of I've never been amongst such division, um, you know, and I think we've got division of, of you know, we've got Democrat, Republican, huge divide right now, and the climate has pushed, you know, people even farther, farther towards the right and the left. Mm-hmm. We have division amongst race. Um, and so for those of you guys who are watching audio, Stuart's, Stuart's a black man. So if you're watching on the YouTube, you can tell. So if this is the first time you don't know his race, he's he's actually he's black. Um, so I just want to say that so it adds to his his authority on this topic. Then we've got tremendous. I see division happening amongst generations. Uh-huh. Uh, just you know, I was walk, talking to a in a in a context last night, godly family, but there's real difference between the the the, the young adults in the family and mom and dad, like broke down in tears crying because there was division in the family around politics. So w- can you just talk to this divisiveness? What is, what's your perspective? What's happening? Why, why, what's going on? Well, you know, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of things I could say about that, but for me, if I was to, if I was to, uh, I don't know if I was to condense it. Yep. Um, I would say, that, um, how can I say this? That when it comes to America, in my opinion, 
I think what's happened is that around September 11th, because of you know the World Trade stuff, something we really shifted um, in, uh, uh, in America, and that is that, uh, for lack of better terms, postmodern thought um, began to take root. And, and what and what do I mean by postmodernism? Um, I'm and I'm and, I, and I'm not using postmodernism in a um, as a negative thing per se. I'm just mm -hmm. using it as a way of thinking. Yep. And that is that, um, you know, human history can basically be divided into three basic categories, which is pre-modern, modern, modern and post-modern. And uh, modern only lasted for about 400 years, several thousand years before that was, was pre-modern, and now we have post-modern. And post-modern and pre-modern have a lot in common, and I'll define it in just a little bit. But basically, what's happened is Europe, which you guys are very, very familiar with, um, has been in pre-modern thought. Um, for about 300 years, um, and uh, but America was a lot more in modern thought, uh, and has now transitioned into postmodern thought. And what is postmodern? What is postmodern thought in the simplest of terms? It is um, it is skepticism towards a meta narrative, and and so modernism is based off of a meta narrative. It's like it's a few men and women with titles, authority, and position who say this is true. And the rest kind of go, oh, because of your expertise, because of your position, therefore it must be true. And America was still very much so in that kind of thinking. Well, September 11 happened and we ended up in a war. We ended up in a, what, well, in a lot of ways, we're still, we are still in that war. Yeah, in for sure. Varying degrees. And, um, and we basically ended up in that war on, wrong, on a, a wrong set of premises. And people have begun to become very skeptical. And so, so, the, the, so the skepticism towards better narratives and also translates into skepticism towards authority. And so that's begun to really create a different sense, way of thinking towards the government, which at that particular time was predominantly conservative. The, the left guys begin to take on a narrative, but then they begin to come into falsehoods. And so then the right goes, hey, you're lying and you're lying too. And then you know, here we are. And so there is no, there's no more trust, you know, in an authority. There's no more trust in government. And then again, America's already built upon <laughs> deep distrust upon government, but it only got exacerbated. That's the first thing. And I think the second thing is, honestly, uh, when I became a U.S. citizen in 2010, uh, I found something very interesting, and that was, I you know you know you have to study for this test right to be mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. I studied for it. I'm oh, sorry. I studied for it. Yeah. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I, oh, okay. Well, I studied for it then, and uh, <laughs> and I you know and I and I'm a you know I'm kind of driven, so I did a little extra. You know, I, I read <laughs> this, read that, watched this documentary, that documentary. And I began to find out something very interesting, and that was how much of America is no longer functioning based upon its original design. And by original design, I mean where the people, we the people, actually do their job. And we the people stopped doing their job a long time ago. And so here we are. Uh -huh. we, the, we the people stopped doing their job the way it is designed. The uh, Article One is not doing their job the way it's designed. Article Two is not doing their job the way it's designed. The the, the Supreme Court is not doing their job the way it's designed. And so, the so the experiment that the founding fathers 
set in place, I think, is starting to deteriorate. It's interesting. So postmodern thinking really does it does it turn us inward? I mean, turn us self-focused. We're going to govern ourselves, or we're going to follow our own desires, or if we're no longer trusting in in a overarching group of people that we're going to follow, what what happens there? Postmodern is postmodern thought is a mixed bag. Um, it, for, it it can go to the ultimate extremes of relativism, um, uh, but postmodern doesn't necessarily mean relativism, but it can go all the way to uh, to relativism. Um, it it can go to I will follow my own thought, which again is relativism. But a lot of times postmodernism says, "Hey, I don't really care what you have to say uh-huh. until you heard what I've had to say," uh-huh. um, or "I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care." It's just uh-huh. that kind of thing. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So so it's a mixed bag. Uh, in my personal opinion, and this is kind of controversial. But in my personal opinion, I think that postmodernism is a gift. And the reason why I think it's a gift, it's only because it's very similar to pre-modernism. And the Bible was was written in the pre-modern era. Okay. And so and so I think the scripture is going to become that much more relevant and that much more understandable, I think, in this era than it was even in the modern era. And that's why the Bible has so many stories. Stories is a very postmodern way because because I can tell you, I can tell you, hey, God is big, God is smart, God is strong. And I can okay. give you those data points. That's a very modernist way of talking about God. A postmodern or a pre-modern way of talking about God is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now I'm telling you the story. And in the story, it, it leaves room for the person to go, he did what? He created? Oh, my gosh, he's strong. See, it, 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 yeah, it brings yeah. them to their own conclusions in light in light of the story. So anyway, there's a so great the, book I think you guys would like. It's called, uh, it's called, um, it's called reading the Bible as story. And then, um, uh, and the word story is a bit, um, that troubles people because when they hear story, they, they hear fable, right? Uh-huh, but that's uh-huh. not, but that's not what is meant by that. The, the Bible is, is the, the truth of the scripture, um, is told in story form. Right. And, that which is true about story, the Bible has all those elements in it, and it can really open up the uh, the truth of God uh, for people to understand in a very, very, very powerful way. Mm-hmm. That's good. Stories, so, invite, it, it, stories invite people into a conversation. Right. For sure. Totally. Go ahead. No, I think stories are super helpful. Um, so wh- as you're looking at everything that's going on, you know, the the racial tension, the political divide, do you have hope? Um, <laughs> well, um, yeah. And I'm not looking wait, wait, for wait. a specific answer. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you're not going to get in trouble if you say no. I'm not going to say name it, claim it, none of that. Don't worry. No, no. But I will blab it and grab it. Um, no. Just <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I, Hashtag. I have hope for the church. Yeah, that's good. Uh, um, that's really where my hope lies. Yeah. And um, I don't have hope for society, um, meaning society is going to ebb and flow. Right. Um, it's going to get better and then it's going to get worse. It's going to get better. It's going to get worse. It's going to get better. It's going to get worse. And all of that, I think, is part of God's divine plan to purify and to raise up his church. Yeah. And so I've got tremendous hope for the church to become 
a unified body uh, of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, um, even formerly hostile people groups coming together in Christ in love, yeah. understanding one another, loving one another as a witness to a hostile society that the gospel is the way forward. Yeah. Okay. No. Now that's good. That's really good. That's awesome. Actually. I think the same, Stuart. So you and I are on the same page. <laughs> same page. Get you, get you. <laughs> and so how does that postmodern thinking then bleed us to some of the division? Tie that in for me. Well, at least to the division, because now everyone is, in, um, not everyone is buying into their own thought. Yeah. Right? It's it's no longer I am no longer now subjecting my thought and my opinion to an expert or to an authority, right? I have now become my own authority. Number one, number two, now there are various groups who are let's say let's say there's ten people over here who believe a certain thing, but there's this one individual who's got some really crazy ideas. But this person with crazy ideas has really shown how much he cares or how much she cares. Therefore, now. The people care how much they know, and they begin to follow them. And so, so it's the, that it's you. It's that simple. It, it breaking it down. Mm -hmm. I, I think it is. That's actually. I that's mean, really helpful. That because when you put a little technology in that, i.e., uh -huh. social media, uh huh. It that's how it's a. That's it's, a tidal wave. That's that's it's coming. And it's, a tidal yeah. wave of misinformation because now right. everyone can look like an expert. And you can find anything to support your opinion. And it's really hard to get cl clear, accurate information now. That's right. And so and so, what is funny is as much as this generation um, fights for, I just want to think my own thought, they're probably the most susceptible to cult-like behaviors. Yes, yes. Wow, that's the cultic followings. Yeah. See, I've never heard it framed the way that you framed it. Me neither. Because I've Excellent. always, I've seen what you're describing, but I assumed, I mean, my conclusion was, it was it's kind of like that Facebook um, thing where you know someone, therefore what they send you, you just believe it. And, and there's... And, and, you know, like I'm, I'm in the grocery store and I'm chit-chatting with the person behind me and I show them some rash on my hand. Now, I've just come from the doctor, but this person, oh, I know what that is. My cousin had that. And all of a sudden, I don't believe my doctor anymore. I believe the person standing right. next to me. And, it, yes. and I'm like, what is going on with the culture? So exactly. I, I framed it differently. I've seen the conclusion, but I've just framed it differently. So well, you're not near as intelligent. As right? Him, so. See, there's that. <laughs> and Dwayne <Wow>. hates women. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, that's fascinating. It's that's really fascinating. Yeah. So tie in our our current culture in regards to race then. What are your thoughts even in regards to postmodernism belonging in and just speak to what are your thoughts on that? Well, before I mention that, uh, uh, there's a book that I think you all would like. It's called um, it's called Desiring the Kingdom. Do, wait, say it again. Desiring the Kingdom. Okay. Desiring the Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And it's written by uh, um, uh, a philosopher, theologian guy uh, named uh, A. A. Smith. I think I would really like it. The, the book, that book actually 
I had read the book a while ago, and then when the 2016 election happened, um, somehow having read that book helped me frame my understanding in terms of what was taking place yeah. during 2016, insofar as the church is concerned, um, even as it pertains to the um, the wholesale embracing of President Trump by some of our evangelical leaders right. who would not have embraced those characteristics if it was in a candidate from the left per se. Right. And um, uh, anyway, so I just want to kind of kind of mention that book and because yeah. basically what he does, if I remember this correctly, is he says that human beings uh, can be defined in um, three basic categories. Either we are thinkers or we are believers or we are lovers. And he takes the stand that we are lovers and he goes, then if we understand it as human beings, we do what we love. He says, then we can understand why we so often do contrary to what we believe. Because even though we believe, we may believe something, we ultimately will do what we love. We will go after what we love. And so, and um, anyway, it's a great book. Um, and some of the stuff about postmodernism that I brought up, I got some of those thoughts from um, from from that author. Okay. Okay. Um, in terms, uh, can you ask the race question again? Well, just um, give me just I know that we don't you know, this is we don't have a ton of time and it's a huge topic to um, unpack. But just in regards to even maybe where we're at postmodernism, is that feeding it? And then just give us some of your thoughts on where we're at today in the racial divide and this challenge our nation's in right now. Yeah, I think postmodern. Yeah, I think postmodernism plays into it. But I think there's a different issue that's going on uh, with the, with the, with the race uh, dynamic. Oh gosh, uh, where to start? I think there's several things going on. Um, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like two people who are at odds with each other. And because they never thoroughly discussed uh, the reason of their tension, 20 years later, the tension has gone to a point where they don't even know why they're fighting with each other anymore, but they know they're at odds with each other. Uh-huh. And I think that's the best way that I can describe the, the racial dynamics um, in, uh, in America hmm. has been that they're, um, the black in general, and this is more from a sociological standpoint, that I believe that Many within the black community um, have, you know, carried uh, pain, angst, sorrow, anger, bitterness, whatever you want to call it. Um, some for legitimate reasons, some for not legitimate reasons. That's not what I want to address. I, want to, I don't want to address the legitimacy of it. I want to address the fact that there's angst there. Totally. And, it, and it's like, and it's like, hey, let's talk about the angst. And then the majority white community kind of goes, we have nothing else to talk about. Like. You got the freedom of slavery. You got mm-hmm. the civil rights. You got a black president. Like, can we just move on? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work like that on an interpersonal relationship. So right. I don't think it will work that way on a social relationship. If it doesn't work that way between two people, totally. it doesn't work totally. that way between groups of millions trying to have this conversation. So I think that is part of what is happening. Yeah. Um, the second thing that I think is happening is that... Um, I think that in the, you know, uh, 
uh, the emancipation of slaves happened in 1863. Um, there was, a, there, believe it or not, there was a period of time after the emancipation leading up until 1877. So there's about a 10-year period uh, where uh, Black people actually began to prosper um, in America, um, even to the point that um, some have, some actually became uh, representatives in the U.S. Congress, uh, businesses, all that kind of stuff. And then you had what was called the Compromise of 1877, in particular in the South, where um, Black people got basically you know, thrown under the bus and that kind of flung the doors wide open for the KKK, the Jim Crow laws and all of that okay. kind of stuff leading up until, you know, what happened with the civil rights movement, the civil rights struggle, all that stuff. Now, what I think is happening is there was a cancer, you know, uh, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, you know, America has had stage four cancer. Yeah. And that cancer began to get radiated. And that cancer actually shrunk. I mean, you know, um, you guys spoke to me about, you know, being leadership at IHOP. It's a predominantly white organization. Right. As, a, as a black man, I've been able to be a leader and be for the most part, be respected and and heard and be able to lead and do different things, right? That would not have happened in the 50s and the 60s, right? So, so there clearly has been some kind of a social transformation that has taken place because the stage four cancer now has shrunk down to, let's say, stage one. Sure. Here's the problem. Stage one cancer, you still have cancer. Right, right. And there's a group saying, hey, we don't have any cancer. You're like, well, yes, you do. It's stage one. You still have cancer. Yeah. Number one. Number two, the other group is treating the stage one cancer like it's still stage four. And so it's being radiated at a stage four level. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I would imagine that if you have stage four cancer and it shrinks out of stage one, if you use stage four level of radiation, you're going to kill the body. Mm-hmm. And so and, and so I think there's a lot of imprecision that is going that is happening. I think there is there's there's dismissiveness that is happening on one side and there is a wrong um, uh, there's a wrong application of radiation to the issue on the other side. And it's creating tremendous problems in the, in the country, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting way of, of framing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the issues being addressed today as though we're still in the 50s and the 60s and we're not in the 50s and the 60s. But but I think also you're saying 100% we got cancer. Pain's still yeah. there. Well, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah, and I'm it's... convinced and I'm convinced of it, but here's the funny thing, guys. I'm convinced of it mostly because of the scripture. As long as, long as we have the effect of Adam in the earth, <laughs> there is going to be racism in every country in the world. Right. And so to pretend that it doesn't exist, it's kind of like, uh, have you read the Bible? <laughs> like, uh-huh. you know, yeah. Like, you know, it may, it may not look like it looked back in the 50s and the 60s, but it's still an issue. Right. And I think for Duane and I, you know, we've been on a journey during the racial tension, trying to figure out what are we guilty of? What are we ignorant of? What are we um, dismissive of? And we've learned a lot of things that we thought that we, we didn't realize uh, systemic racism was systemic. You know what I mean? Um, Like even learning things like redlining and all of that, that, that I learned a bunch of stuff from our son-in-law that was new to me. And even just recently, even just recently going, oh my goodness, this is painful. And, um, 
I'm, I mean, I'm aware that the pain is, is definitely real. Um, and I don't want, I, but I want to have, I still want to have real conversation. You know what I mean? And so that's why I appreciate your perspective. Cause I, I feel like I'm allowed to still have real conversation with you. Um, but we have to. yeah. And, and it, it's awkward and messy and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm messing up. You know what I mean? I'm saying it right. And I'm saying it wrong. Um, and so to your point earlier that there's hope within the church, I believe we can, we can really get some ground within the body of Christ. Yes, I don't, I don't have a ton of hope for society, but within the body of Christ, I have hope just because of Jesus and the cross. I mean, he, right. he made it plain and clear that there can be reconciliation, 100%. which is beautiful. But I, I guess for me, like what, so what do we do then about society? Do we just say mm, all is lost or how, how do we walk knowing that things may get worse, but yet we're called to be messengers of reconciliation? Yeah, absolutely not. I think that, and, uh, uh, no, we don't, we don't throw up our hands when it comes to society uh, simply because uh, we're called to be witnesses, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so we, we witness as the way that we live individually. We witness the way that we live as a spiritual family. We witness as we are as a corporate church. Number one, number two, I personally am a firm believer in what what is called uh, pre-conversion discipleship, mm -hmm. and so and so our message to the world is still the gospel. We yeah. can still bring gospel principles in the context of society where the situation merits itself, uh, where we can bring a message of reconciliation. That doesn't mean they all get saved in that particular moment, but it can bring a moment of peace. It can bring you know some moments yeah. of 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 an uh, of uh, reconciliation and healing you know like for instance and and like right now you know i'm working for a small for a small and uh, a company as a, as a pilot and you know most of the guys and gals there don't know the lord um but i find myself often when i'm talking to them talking to them maybe in different language but with right. the very 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 same concept as i would talk to a believer yeah does that does that make sense? And yeah, it makes absolutely. perfect sense. Totally. And see different ones leaning in and or asking yeah. me more questions and, and whatnot. And so when it comes to society, I think we our message to them is the gospel. We may say it a little differently so they understand, but yeah. we do have a role to society. Galatians chapter six, verse ten, Paul says, he says, um, he says, Do good to all especially to those in the household of faith. Yeah. So the especially to those in the household of faith makes a statement of priority, but it's not a statement of, of exclusion. Right. Well, so, so we still have a responsibility to society to be a witness, to be salt, to be peacemakers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So then where, you know, where do you see 2020 in the context of the word of God? Because, you know, I, I mentioned this, I think, on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I just even was thinking about it yesterday. Jennifer and I were visiting um, her her hometown um, in the big town of Shelton, Washington, and there was a, a guy there that was a, a friend, a high school friend, and I'm not sure he's really in the faith today, and, and uh, I don't know where he's at, to be honest with you, but three times in the conversation, he goes, oh my gosh, 2020, it's apocalyptic what's happening. You know, and so 
there's kind of that opinion, but I'm not sure. And so with what's happening, not only in America, but I appreciate your global perspective on things. And I've always valued that about you. What do you, where do you, do you see 2020 having biblical context? Wow. That's a, that's a giant, giant question. Um, Answer in 30 seconds. (laughs) I'll do it. Um, That's a giant question. Um, So here, here's how, uh, let me, let me answer it this way. So Matthew 24, we're familiar with Matthew 24, where Jesus talks about the end times. And um, I have a, I think so. I think I have a slightly different take on my approach to Matthew 24. And what I mean by that is that Matthew 24 often gets presented in a, like in a linear fashion, like uh, this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And I think there's a place for that. But if you read Matthew 24 grammatically, you'll see that there's much more cause and effect in Matthew 24. And I think when we see the cause and effect, I think the passage opens up in a different way. Here's what I mean by this. So Jesus starts out by saying, a see to that no one deceives you. So he brings with the issue of deception. And uh, he breaks it up about two or three other times throughout the, the chapter. So deception clearly is the Lord's burden. Uh, then he says, why? He says, because there's many that will come and say that I'm the Christ. So there's a cause and effect, right? The, the, the effect is deception that causes this, this false Christ. But then you go, but why are these false Christs here? Like, where did these guys come from? What's the deal? Then he then brings up that whole list of wars and uh, rumors of wars and all that kind of stuff. And then he goes later on into nature against nature, kingdom against kingdom, pestilence and all that kind of stuff. Here's how this relates to 2020. Um, I can make sense of how uh, wars and rumors of war relate to deception. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, I can see how uh, nation against nation, I'm sorry, uh, uh, people against people, so racial wars, how that connects to, to deception. I was never able to make the connection of how pestilences connect to deception until COVID-19. Uh-huh. And, and what I mean by deception, I don't mean whether this narrative is right or that narrative. I just mean this whole orb of confusion that exists around around the subject. So do I see 2020 in the Bible? No, I don't, but I do see 2020 as catalytic or biblical things to begin to unfold with greater intensity as time goes on. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. And so catalytic um and so do you do you mean that it's um that this could be the precursor to more deception more intensity yeah i think this i I, you know it's that whole you know you remember remember in march when this whole thing hit everyone kept talking about the new norm you know yeah Yeah. i think i think that's what i mean by catalyst like we're we're never going back to where it was we're never we're we're not going to think see feel about life the way we did before March 2020. And uh, and so that's what I mean by catalytic, you know? Uh, like, for instance, I think that September 11 was catalytic. 
yeah the world sure. america and the world has never been the same uh, yep. since since uh, since september 11 and so i think this is yet another catalytic moment in history that is setting the stage for other biblical realities to take place um in terms of uh it being the end um uh, i i've always found it interesting that when america gets hit it's the end of the world <laughs> yeah <laughs> everyone else gets hit it's it's oh, it's a sad day but when we get hit it's oh my god it's, it's the end that's so and, uh, good huh that's so good it's so right and uh, uh so i found it i found it interesting but i cannot but i cannot ignore the words of jesus when he said uh all the uh he says when these things happen the end is not yet yeah for all these things must come to pass yeah and so jesus actually you remember you know you remember that movie in a uh, braveheart where they are in a the it's the very first big battle they're about to fight and William Wallace kept saying, hold, hold, uh -huh. hold. And that's almost like what I feel like the Lord is going. Because he's going, hold, hold. Don't, don't just pull the trigger just yet of the end because the end is not yet. Don't be troubled. Just hold, 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 hold. I mean, that's just kind of what I, I'm anticipating heaven is, is saying in my heart as I, as I look at what's going on. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's good. William Wallace. <laughs> So uh, then, in light of that, you're you're saying you know we're going to have some societal positives and negatives, ebbs and flows. So when you're saying, but my hope actually is for growth and maturing of the body of Christ. So you've mentioned unity in there. So where do you think we're going as the body of Christ? And, and you know the disruption is evident across the earth and and so because i i have deep conviction there's we're in a transition you know and, and and so what what are you what are your thoughts on where does god what's god wanting to talk to us encourage us confront the body strengthen the body mature the body do you have thoughts on that yeah um i you know i was thinking um the other day about that verse in jude where Jude says, uh, he says, contend earnest, earnestly for the faith. Yeah. Yep. And, and when he says contend for the faith, I think what he means is the gospel, that we would contend for the, the purity, the simplicity, uh, the power, the wholeness of the gospel, and number one. But number two, Paul tells us that we have no chance of understanding the gospel unless we understand Jesus. And so, and so if I was to say what I think the Lord is really, really, really after um, in the church right now um, is, our, um, is our understanding, our, it's letting our understanding of Christ be challenged by the Holy Spirit and be challenged by the Word of God and basically surrender our cultural understanding of Him, surrender our national understanding of Him, mm -hmm. Surrender our worldly understanding of Him and say, "Lord, we don't know You. Holy Spirit, will You do the thing You enjoy doing the most, which is revealing Christ in yeah. us?" And uh, uh, and when I look at the life and ministry of Paul and the other apostles, I would say that that is the thing that they do over and over and over again. Uh, Paul, one, you know, the the, the gospel 
the, the thing that's amazing about the gospel is that it's so potent, but yet at the same time, it's something that can slip away from us so easily. Yeah. Um, and Paul tells the church of Galatia that he says, look, he goes, man, I marvel that you have so soon uh, left the gospel for another gospel. But then he says later on, he says that the gospel that he had, he said he did not receive it from man. Man did not teach it to him, but he received it by a revelation of Jesus Christ. And I would say that that is the greatest thing needed in this hour is for Christ to be revealed in the church uh-huh. and for Christ to be revealed through the church. And then later on, Paul says in Galatians, I love this. He says, he says, I'm in labor for you again until Christ is formed in you again. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need. We need Christ formed in and through the church again. And, and honestly, I think that's why, you know, we, we had a bit of a philosophical, um, sociological analysis of what's going on. Mm-hmm. But I think from a heaven's perspective, I think God is shaking things. Yeah. So in order to expose the shakeable in us. Yes. So that we can then replace it with with that which cannot be shaken, which is the foundation of Christ, his gospel and his kingdom. Yeah. And so um that's really good. I love that. Yeah, I'm I'm in full agreement. So just like expand a little bit on because when people hear the term gospel, yeah, they think the cross and I need to confess sin again. So just just expand on what was Paul talking about and and yeah. and Christ being formed, the, the revelation of Christ in the church. Just expand on that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um the gospel is um is the for lack of better terms, it's the it's the it's the platform and the agenda of the king. Um, you know, like right now we're in an, in a, we're in an election year. Donald Trump yep. has a platform and an agenda. Joe Biden has a platform and an agenda, and voters are choosing to put their hope in that agenda or not to put their hope in that in that agenda. Yep. Well, there's an agenda for the world. There's an agenda for all of creation. There's an agenda for all of the cosmos. There's an agenda for our personal lives. And that agenda from heaven's perspective is called the gospel. And 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 that agenda includes our salvation. Yeah. Yep. It includes our transformation and it includes our glorification. This this whole plan that God has for us as individuals and God has that plan for all of society, which he will fully manifest when Jesus returns. And so when I say the gospel, yes, it includes the very basic of the gospel in terms of our salvation, but it also includes the whole narrative and the whole agenda of God, the whole plan of God for the world. And um, I think about that. I love this. When uh, when Jesus was born, the angel, uh, the shepherds were out in the field and the angels came and they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth and 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 on and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. That's what I think of the gospel. It's that narrative mm-hmm. and that plan and that platform of peace and God's desire of goodwill for humanity mm-hmm. and uh, th- uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so that's what I think of gospel when I think of the gospel. And so um, correct me if I'm wrong in, in hearing what you're saying. Then. So you are saying not only the cross, but the personal journey of redemption unto glorification, but also then to really understand Jesus and his king 
as a king and his kingdom and his whole redemptive plan to bring forth peace on the earth. Yes. And so then what that means for those of you who may be new to the term eschatology, or it's the fullness of Jesus and his plan to return, and then the details of actually the return, but more than the details, the purpose of the return. Yeah, you like do I like to say you know, Jesus died to save the trees? <laughs> yeah, there that, you go. That's 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 new for I'm sure many people. <laughs> you know he did. You know absolutely he, he, he did. Died to save our souls, but he came to according to Romans eight to redeem all of creation. Yes, that was subject yes. to the curse. Mm-hmm. Yes, amen. That's really good. And so, so this this really um, I I preached a message a couple of weeks ago. Jesus versus the president. And so oh. where do, where do my allegiance a lot, uh, you know, where are my allegiance? Yeah. And so you're really saying that in this time, shaking is coming so that the body of Christ would get clarity on the revelation of Jesus and his plans and purposes. Absolutely. I, I absolutely believe that. I believe the Lord, the father is being, things are disruptive, but at the same time, I can get away from how gentle it is that he's being with us right. at the same time right and he's gently shaking us he's gently shaking the world he's gently shaking systems um and in that shaking to invite us to um confess own recognize the shakeable in us yeah to give that up and to receive that which cannot be shaken yeah and um um I um, uh, um, was doing a little bit of writing earlier today, and I was thinking about that verse in uh, in Isaiah 26, where he says, um, Isaiah says, when God's judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants learn righteousness. Yeah. And the thing that has stood out to me was how often I've heard that verse mentioned, and when righteousness is being talked about, it is immediately applied to right behavior or legislation or some kind of a change in culture or some kind of a law and um of, of course i'm in favor of right behavior but i'm just struck by the fact that um hmm, okay here it goes i'm just struck by the fact that you can have right behavior and be profoundly unrighteous yeah that is what's really standing out to me when i'm looking at the scripture that there is such thing as unrighteousness and have the best behavior, have the best marriage, have immaculate finances, have the best kids, have the best da 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 and still be deeply unrighteous. Usually we look at the exterior and see that's unrighteous, and yes, and we need to address that. But I've been lately been getting really been getting stirred by this idea that righteousness is not is not external, righteousness is internal. And that when the first time when um when the, the bible it struck me i was like wow the bible mentions righteousness for the very very first time in the context of abraham's faith that's the first time the word even shows up in the bible okay. is when it says that god accredited righteousness to abraham yeah. because of his because of his faith so if if we interpret isaiah 26 verse 9 in light of that then it takes a whole different meaning that when God's judgments are in the earth, when God's shaking are in the earth, the inhabitants will learn where, how to, uh, they will learn to put their confidence elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. That's 
that's the righteousness. That's what they're learning. And so, so to me, what is happening right now is actually um, it's what the Lord told the disciples, the field is white for the harvest, you know? And so I, that's the other thing. I think that we need to look at the chaos in a different light. I yeah. think the Lord is saying, Hey, look up and see the field is white for the harvest. And yeah. we're going, this is what white harvest looks like. It exactly. White harvest yeah. looks like cities on fires, people rioting, all kinds of immorality, all kinds of craziness and confusions and pestilence and the diseases. Heaven says that's a white harvest because now People are being so shaken within. Now is the opportunity to go teach some righteousness. What is righteousness? It's faith in Christ. That's, yeah. that's really good. That, uh, that he has for us. Excuse me, Jennifer. That, that is really good. That's an excellent perspective because people are, everyone is disrupted. I mean, yeah. you can have a deep conversation in, at the bank with anyone right now. You yeah. just make eye contact and there's everyone. It's right here. It's on the forefront of everyone's mind. Yeah. And it's just, it is the time that we can be messengers of hope. Right. And I, I love the visual image. The white harvest looks like cities on fire and earthquakes and shaking. And I'm like, Ooh, I've never thought about that, but that, that is right. Because I, I feel that it just feels like it is, it's easy to preach the gospel right now. It really is. And the reason why I say that's what a white harvest looks like is because the context in which Jesus says is very important. He had just finished speaking to a uh, uh, an adulterous woman, yeah. built marriages of ill repute, and Jesus says, look at the field of white harvest. In other words, he's going, that woman, that's what white harvest looks like. So Messed good. up, broken lives, in pain, looking for answers he goes yeah. that's what a white a ready harvest looks like yeah i love that that's so good no i uh i'm excited i, I just i'm just ready to see some people getting saved yeah no amen it's really good um so are you writing a book or are you just writing in your journal <laughs> <laughs> i am journaling kind of processing on whether to write a book. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Awesome. No, just I give us, to, I feel I, I, I can't, I not quite, I got about two different, about three different things in terms of that is kind of percolating inside of me. Okay. Um, and so, uh, I'm not sure if it's like, if they need to be synthesized into one okay. or are they, or are they, or are they actually three different topics? Uh -huh. But I'm just kind of um, processing my thoughts and just putting them down. Okay. And just kind of see, kind of see where it goes. Give us one minute on your book, False Justice. Oh, wow. Um, well, the best thing I can say about False Justice is I wrote that book because I um, perceived that there... Um, that because the gospel, which we just talked about earlier, uh, for many believers is so individualized, mm -hmm. uh, we missed the bigger picture of the gospel and we missed how the gospel speaks into things like race, the poor, government, and so forth. And because we individualized the gospel 
and we did not figure out how to communicate, how to, sorry, how to have a broader perspective of the gospel, it made the church vulnerable to false ideas. Oh, wow. Because people, people want to know about race, what to do. People want to know what to do with the poor. People want to know what to do about the environment and governments and wars. These things are on people's minds. This is where people live. And so because an individualized gospel doesn't answer those things, people then begin looking for answers elsewhere. Yeah. And, uh, and so my hope in the, in, in the book, False Justice, was actually was to present a picture of a holistic gospel, that the yeah. gospel really is sufficient to speak into our personal as well as, as, well as our, our social concerns um, okay. um, as, as believers. Awesome. Beautiful. And so where can people get it? Amazon. Amazon. Stuart Greaves, False Justice. Um, highly recommend it, actually. Um, particularly if you're wrestling with that topic of even today, justice, the Bible, and even our current culture today with, with great division. So, hey, buddy, man, I so appreciate you jumping in with oh, us. Yeah. We, we will uh, definitely bring you back. Absolutely. Thank you. Looking and forward to seeing you guys. No, absolutely. If you want to, um, he, by the time this is releases, he'll have already preached at Upper Room Denver. Um, if you want to catch his message, go to Upper Room, you know, YouTube, Upper Room Denver as well. You'll see it. But uh, God bless you guys. Thanks for jumping in. Uh, we will be back. We'll Thanks, talk to Stuart. you again. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Okay, right. bye. Ciao, ciao, everyone. 